Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. People in Asia face grim consequences as a result of global warming. Floods, storms, heat waves, and droughts threaten many parts of the region, including parts of China. As the world's largest emitter of greenhouse gases, China's capacity for action is great, and its leader, Xi Jinping, has made a series of significant announcements on climate change in the past few years. Indeed, he sent a carefully worded statement on the topic to the United Nations COP26 conference, which was recently held in Glasgow. Well, I'm pleased this week on China in Context that we're joined by a very experienced political analyst who's well-placed to provide some insights into the messages from Xi Jinping and the Chinese government. Quinn Doshu is a senior fellow at the Pangol Institution in Beijing. We know each other through our work together on China Radio International and its website, China Plus. Quindo joins us today from Shanghai. Quindo, I'd like to start with some words which Xi Jinping used in that message to the United Nations. He urged countries to focus on concrete action, honor their commitments, set realistic targets, and do their best according to national conditions to deliver their climate action measures. What did you make of the statement? Well, I think President Xi Jinping is referring to like actions matters uh, much more than words than rhetoric. He's stressing like uh, you know every country uh, can make some pledges, uh, can say they are committed to fighting climate change. But at the end of the day, uh, what is more important is delivery. Whether you can deliver, whether you have a specific plan to implement, um, uh, to put your commitment to realize your commitment. I would say. One of the other points which I thought was interesting in terms of President Xi's statement was his comment that developed countries should not only do more themselves, but should also provide support to help developing countries do better. What do you think he means? Uh, from one uh, perspective or one aspect, uh, um, the issue is like a, there's a term, we call it a cumulative emissions. Uh, since industrialization, uh, rich nations have produced uh, this emission. And for example, if you take that into consideration, the United States is actually the largest emissioner. And uh, if you don't look at this, you would say in general, people say China is the largest amateur. Both uh, are right, actually. And secondly, I would say uh, what he meant is that, you know, um, developed nations in general are well-placed in terms of financing to fight climate change. And also they are well-placed in terms of uh, technologies. You know, they usually they have the technology to uh, fight climate change. In that sense, if they can transfer some of the technologies to the developing countries to help them, then everybody will benefit from that process. And of course, financing, uh, not only about the developed countries in their uh, effort against climate change, but also means as a pledged uh, by the rich world, uh, rich world under the Paris Agreement, uh, they would give like a $100 billion every year uh, from 2015 to 2020 uh, to help the less developed world to fight climate change, to reduce, for example, to increase the adaptation ability 
to uh, help them mitigate the effects, uh, the effects of climate change. Uh, but unfortunately, they have failed to do that. Uh, that promise has been broken. Well, that's one of the great criticisms of these international meetings, isn't it? That the world leaders attend, they make commitments, but they don't actually keep to their promises. Having said that, one of the big achievements of the COP26 in Glasgow was the agreement on deforestation, rich countries and developing countries agreeing to work together on that issue of chopping down trees and, and all the problems that that causes. The theory uh, goes like that. If you have a large area of uh, um, forests, that will help uh, basically ward off the accumulation of uh, uh, carbon dioxide. Uh, so, you know, deforestation in the developing world usually is because of, uh, uh, you know, um, what happened under the purpose of developing their economy sometimes. For example, uh, regional people, local people, they would say, you know what, I will chop off the trees and then I can sell the wood, I can make some money. Uh, that's about the livelihood. In that sense, they do need some help finance financially so they can uh, you know, change the lifestyle, for example, to rely on something else and, uh, you know, help protect the forest or increase the number of trees. In that sense, it's not only in the interest of the local people or regional countries, but also, I mean, the global community will benefit from that uh, in our joint efforts against climate change. Now, President Xi didn't attend the conference in Glasgow in person, although many other world leaders were there. Why did he choose not to come to the UK? Um, well, I think you know the number one concern is uh, the uh, uh, COVID, uh, COVID nineteen. You know, we know China has a, a very strict uh, quarantine policy and have a zero tolerance policy. Basically, as long as there's outbreak, and they would uh, uh, put out all the joint efforts to basically achieve zero uh, infection. And in that sense, that means like if Xi Jinping goes out and when he comes back, he will uh, be quarantined. Uh, we have a system called like a 14 plus seven, seven. That means like 21 days, he will be isolated. <laughs> uh, the president will be quarantined for 21 days. And that's, uh, I would say a lot of trouble for him to run the country. He need uh, to meet his top aides like every day to talk to each other, to know what's going on inside of the country. And uh, is there a problem to deal with, or what about our policy implementation? Uh, do we need some changes, et cetera? I think um, uh, other than that, the, 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 we know that there's a Winter Olympic um, in Beijing is upcoming. Uh, also, there's a big meeting of the uh, ruling party, uh, the CPC, uh, that's uh, about the Chinese politics. That's also very important for him to stay in the country and to prepare for the meeting. Uh, I would say for all of these reasons, um, you know, that's probably why he chose to stay in China and then uh, not to join the meeting. Turning to what Mr. Xi said about China in his statement to COP26, he said there are specific implementation plans for key areas such as coal, electricity, iron and steel and cement. But isn't there an issue here with China planning to build more coal-fired power stations? Can you clarify China's policy in terms of coal-fired power stations, please? 
Uh, that's a good question, Duncan. Yes, China is building more uh, coal-fired power plants, and that's a reality. That's a fact. Um, uh, but uh, the issue is like uh, you know, if you look at the Chinese uh, uh, pledge uh, commitments, that uh, they will achieve. Um, uh, you know, basically the carbon dioxide emission will peak before 2030. So the idea is that, uh, you know, is not peaking yet uh, because China as a developing country, I think there's a uh, very much potential for them to explore, to develop. Uh, but uh, their calculation is like uh, that kind of development will peak uh, before 2030, uh, partly. And partly because China will transition from the reliance on fossil fuel to renewable energy. Uh, so that's a complicated process, I would say. Um, you know, it requires comprehensive efforts from the Chinese government, from the governments at different levels, from the industrial sector. So that's why, you know, as you asked, it, there, there's, there are policies about these different sectors, cement, steel, uh, coal sector. I can give you an example. Uh, for example, for the recent you know, energy crunch, part of the problem comes from the actually the Chinese policy implementation, uh, because I would say you know, many people, some people criticized, probably we have a too drastic uh, policy in reducing, in cracking down the coal-fired power plants or coal mines. And then there is a shortage of coal in China to provide the necessary energy, necessary electricity uh, for the factories to uh, continue to run. And, you know, because China is, uh, you know, people call it like the world factory. Its manufacturing sector is a strong, it produces a lot of stuff. It consumes a lot of uh, power. Uh, so you see the contradiction. On one hand, you, your, your, your need of uh, the power or electricity is on the rise. At the same time, you want to reduce your reliance on fossil fuel. But that's a, that's a process. It requires delicate balance. On one hand, you want to reduce your reliance. At the same time, in a short period of time, you have to increase at least temporarily. That is uh, the issue here. On the subject of air pollution, you're in Shanghai at the moment. People there tell me that the air is much cleaner than it was a few years ago. Oh, that is true, Duncan. If you are in China, for example, 2012, 2013, uh, it's barely breathable. <laughs> but now, um, you know, sometimes people count the number of days every year. They call it the blue sky days. Uh, I would say 90% or 99%, for example, in Beijing, these couple of years, are uh, uh, a, a blue sky, a with blue sky, of course, partly because of this COVID-19, partly because of the Chinese uh, policy against polluting uh, industries, polluting companies. You know, simply there is an order, executive order saying that if you are polluting uh, above a certain level, you are required to reallocate or close your factory. Climate change is one of the most highly polarizing issues in the United States. Um, Republicans, most notably Trump, have mocked the issue as a hoax. They've been very reluctant, actually, to take it seriously. And Mr. Biden's got a fight on his hands in terms of getting Republican-led states to follow his executive orders on climate change. What about China? Does President Xi face a struggle in getting his plans through the provisional governments, for example? 
Good question, Dan Kim. Uh, actually, uh, I would say yes. Uh, in China, there are different voices. Uh, if you talk to some of the economists, uh, some of the business people, uh, they are complaining, actually. They are complaining about uh, the promise made by uh, the central government. They say, oh, we are making too much, uh, too big a pledge and to fulfill because we are a developing country. Our priority is still development. It's still about the livelihood, still about increasing, uh, improving people's living standards. Uh, that's their complaint. And if you actually, if you look at the, uh, for example, there's a letter writing by the Chinese uh, uh, Passenger Vehicle Association. Uh, they are begging the central government because they think the central government is moving too fast on climate change. So you can see in the cement action, in the steel, action, uh, steel sector, it's the same. Uh, they say, oh, uh, we are under severe pressure uh, to go green, uh, to use the high tech and to, to change our behavior because we have a quota. We have to reach that kind of a quota. So you can see the seriousness um, from the central government. That does not mean there's no opposition. Uh, but in general, in China, you know, as long as there's a, uh, the, the, the goal is clear, we set the goal and the entire nation, uh, they are supposed to join the efforts to move along. Uh, complaint aside, it's really about how to achieve that goal, how to achieve that specific target. It's not easy, but we have to make our efforts. Quindo, thank you. These are complicated issues, and you've explained what you see as the perspective of the Chinese administration very clearly. Quindao Zhu is a senior fellow at the Pangol Institution, on the line there from Shanghai. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, part of the University of London, and you can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here at the China in Context podcast team.